The best tech conference of the year is coming to Las Vegas, November 28th through December 2nd, and MongoDB will be there. Check us out at booth 1611 for prizes, swag, and to learn all about the Atlas Developer Data Platform. Can't make it to the show but still want to enjoy the fun? Check out the MongoDB live stream for live interviews and discussions of all the exciting announcements from the show. Visit mongodb.com slash reinvent for more information. Welcome to the podcast. In this episode, we continue the series on MongoDB Realm Mobile. Shane McAllister returns with his deep knowledge of the mobile application development industry, and we've got a guest. His name is Jason Flax, and he's an engineer on the MongoDB Realm team focusing on iOS and Cocoa. Jason shares a little bit about his, his deep background in mobile application development, and we discuss the why and how so many application developers are using MongoDB Realm as part of their mobile application stack. I hope you enjoy the episode. You're listening to the MongoDB Podcast. MongoDB Podcast. Exploring the world of software development, data, and all things MongoDB. And now your hosts, Michael Lynn and Nick Raboy. Welcome to the show, Nick. It's it's great to be back after the holidays. How are you doing? I'm doing great. This is going to be a, a great start to the new year. Yeah, absolutely. Today we've got several guests. We're going to welcome back Shane McAllister. Shane, how are you doing? Very good, Mike. Thanks for having me back. Appreciate it. Yeah, great to have you back on the show. And as a guest today, we've got Jason Flax, who is an engineer at MongoDB. Hey there. Welcome. It's good to have you on the show. And today we're going to we're going to focus on MongoDB Realm. So, folks listening, when you hear MongoDB Realm, may maybe coming to the podcast with different ideas and, and experience around what Realm is. Now, Realm, Realm is a former company that MongoDB acquired. Realm is a mobile database. Realm is a suite of backend services. And today we're going to focus in specifically around the mobile space. And Jason works on code in the Realm mobile space. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah, you want to give us an overview of what you do? Sure. Uh, so I am the team lead of the Realm Coco SDK, which covers the entirety of the Apple ecosystem. Coco itself is the old school name for the set of frameworks that allowed you to interact with the Apple APIs. And what we do is to make sure that the local database functions perfectly on Apple products and the cloud portion functions as well. And the languages that you would use would either be Objective-C or Swift. And how long have you been with MongoDB? Been with MongoDB four and a half years, nearly five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> and always in the, in the iOS and Swift and mobile space? Always in the mobile space, but I have had to have a, multiple disciplines going. I actually, before the acquisition of Realm, I was on the Stitch team, and I was a software engineer managing all three SDKs. <laughs> which okay. was uh, the Android, iOS, and JavaScript ones. So at that point, I did have to be a bit more multidisciplinarian. But uh, these days, it's all go-go all the time. And how did you get involved in Realm? Uh, well, I suppose when the acquisition happened, our Stitch product largely mirrored the Realm Sync product. So it was just this natural occurrence that, right, Jason works on these SDKs. It makes sense for him to join the Realm SDKs. Uh, and the teams, though... Separate had to merge the product together. And now, Shane, you've got a lot of experience in the mobile space. Did you work with Realm prior to coming to MongoDB? I, I did indeed. We used Realm, I think, probably started using Realm back in 20, late 2014, late beginning of 2015. Just, just the local mobile database. We predominantly used it in the app development company that I had at the time. 
very simply, simply parsing an API, storing it locally. And I think that's, that's an awful lot of, you know, what our existing developers do use it for, or at least, you know, kind of are known for as well too, but there's so much more. But I wanted, before we get into the details, I, I didn't want to let it pass. On Saturday last, the 9th of January, was the 13th year anniversary of the announcement of the iPhone, right? Now, I remember that um, because I happened to be totally by accident in Macworld at that time. I wasn't in the auditorium when they announced it, but I, I was trying to plug and sell a product we had built, which was a text-to-speech product um, that worked on your iPad, iPod. Uh, so that really dates me. <laughs> so I, I wanted to pay, and, and particularly, you know, I like these mobile topics we do. And I think just to understand where we've come from, it's a, you know, it's a relatively, you know, very new industry, comparatively speaking. So Jason, what was your first phone? And what was, was that a smartphone or was it a dumb phone? <laughs> It was a dumb phone, uh, but it was a lovely dumb phone. It did exactly what it was supposed to do. It made calls and received texts. I think it even had that airplane game, which was the uh, precursor to Flappy Birds. And I actually got it because it was before I got my driver's license and my <laughs> parents got it for me so that I can call them from the movie theater for when I needed to be picked up. Wow. It was, wow. A, it was an LG flip phone. An LG flip. Wow, very good. Mike I'm, I, I, and Nick, I'm going to pick on both of you too. Come on, what, what was your first phone? Oh, you don't want to know mine. Mine was about <laughs> the size of a, a briefcase. No, <laughs> maybe, maybe half a briefcase. And it was a car phone that I used when I was on call. I worked for a software company and, and did support. So I needed to carry a phone so I could, I could receive calls for, for support when we were- Was that one of the ones that wired directly into the car? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. yeah. And then I would open my, my compact laptop, which was not very compact. It was uh, <laughs> also about the size of a briefcase and it had a flip down front and it had a built in 300 baud modem. <laughs> so that'll age me. That'll, that'll give you some idea. And, and so when was your smart, first smartphone then, Mike? What, what did you gravitate towards then? When was that? Do you remember? Well, my first smartphone was an iPhone. Oh, wow. I think it was Straight the, in. Right. Yeah, straight in with, with the iPhones. Um, I guess it's, it's debatable when, when true smart technology came. What would mm -hmm. you consider the first smartphone? I mean, I did have an, a Nokia, uh, you know, ran all the way through the Nokia land. I did have a, a, a BlackBerry as well. It, it, it's a good question, actually, because there were smartphones before the iPhone and, you know, Compaq and Pam and everybody else in the same space. But I suppose the one thing, and, and look, I'm, I'm somewhat an Apple fanboy, but the one thing we give credit to is Apple is to demystify the smartphone experience. You know, it didn't come with a list of instructions or a handbook how to use the iPhone. You, you took it out of the box. There was lovely candy colored icons that you <laughs> tapped and stuff happened. Nick, Nick, when was your first phone? Yeah, so I think I had one of those uh, Nokias, uh, the ones that are basically indestructible and they probably had to send them off into outer space to get rid of them. Uh, but my, my actual first smartphone, I think, was the uh, iPhone 4. Um, so mm -hmm. I okay. was a little late to the game, to the smartphone scene. It's always a really good question because you can age people by the <laughs> first yeah. phones they had. I, had. I had a Nokia 3310, which, like that, was the indestructible Nokia. Yeah. With a, you know, a battery that would last a week or more. Um, <laughs> and as Jason said, phone calls and texts. It did what it was supposed yeah. to do, you mm -hmm. know. Um, my, my, my first smartphone was a... Pam Trail, if you remember those at the time, which was 
a big thing. You got people asking to see it and look at it. <laughs> um, but I, I was, um, I, I didn't go for the first iPhone because they weren't going to run in Ireland and a jailbreak wasn't available for the first one, at least when they launched it. You know, it did come a few months later. So I, I didn't want to bet a few hundred bucks on buying something that I couldn't possibly use where I live. Um, so so uh, the 3GS was the first one that I got and uh, ever ever since then. Anyway, mm. I digress, but I think it's interesting to, to kind <laughs> Absolutely. of figure out where, where we were, you know, um, and, and how far we've come, to be honest. Did set the ground for uh, the future of, of mobile technologies, that's for who, sure. Who knew? Yeah. So Jason, when did you get started with mobile app development, you know, de- developing applications for the mobile space? It would have been at my first job at a company called Zola Books. Um, so they had a, an interesting concept. Um, they wanted to bring ebooks back to the authors effectively by giving the authors a, a majority of the profits. They effectively tried to compete with Amazon, which ended up being extremely difficult, but they only targeted iOS users at the beginning for a variety of reasons. And I was able to fill the space for them in the Android department. So Strangely enough, I actually had my uh, humble beginnings as an Android developer, not an iOS developer. And yeah, so I built out their Android app and then moved on from there at the next role at a company called Todaytix, which was a theater ticketing company um, out of New York. To I, I moved on to be both iOS and Android. So that's when I got iOS experience at first, which was a very different world than Android at the time. Things are a bit more similar these days. A few years after that, I joined MongoDB. How about the uh, developer experience when it comes to developing for, for iOS? I mean, you've been in, in it for quite some time. Has that, has that changed between now and back then? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> things are radically different, I think, especially on iOS. One thing that was always sorely missing since the beginning was a, a proper dependency management system. You had to use CocoaPods at first. If not, even before that, you had to use dynamic frameworks, which is where you would literally drag and drop the framework into your Xcode project, which means that you had to download it manually, open it up manually, all that kind of thing. CocoaPods kind of started out not necessarily as a, as a hack, but as a workaround to this lack of a dependency management system. So you had to end up using this third-party dependency management system, which most people still use today. But now, Apple finally supports Swift Package Manager, which is great, which you know, has really improved the developer experience as just one example. And I think it's important to, you know, for our listeners, I suppose, that, you know, the dependencies that Jason's talking about there are, you know, as much as we like to think we start building from scratch, we don't. It's building blocks. We stand on the shoulders of giants. We take pieces of code that other people have put together to help us um, to to build out our apps. If we were starting from, you know, literally a, a blank file, it would be incredibly hard to do this. And I suppose that brings us back to Realm, Jason, insofar as Realm in its early days did a lot for developers. It kind of helped them smooth the path of their own development and took away a lot of the really tiresome, long-legged work that they, they really just hated. It, it, got in, it you know, took away all of that boilerplate code that allowed them to get on and build their app. Um, can you talk about that in, in how it helps developers uh, across the board? Of course, yeah. And I suppose uh, of the irony of your statement being that the original Realm folks did start out with a blank file and a blank slate. Um, the only dependencies they would have had would have been some system dependencies, but they've they built the database from scratch, which has always and, been... And that's really interesting because we do, which Mike and Nick, you you know the schedule for these podcasts, but hopefully before this podcast with Jason comes out, we have a podcast with 
Alexander Stigson and Ian Ward from Realm. Now, Alexander was the founder of Realm. And in that podcast, he, he describes to us how he started from scratch, yeah. how he <laughs> took this bet. And like, you know, most people kind of try to fix something, make something better. He went, it's all wrong. We're going to do it this way. It's an incredible, you know, incredible leap to take. For sure. Going back to it, this all ties together with development experience as well, where I, I would imagine, and I'm sure you'll hear it in the other podcast, Alexander will go on to talk about core data and the absolute <laughs> rough developer experience that was. Uh, <laughs> where Realm came in is that, you know, as far as developers were concerned, it, it was magic discovers your schema automatically. Objects can be added to the database without nearly any work outside of literally the one line of code that adds it to the database. And users were enamored by that. It was just so much easier than anything else out there. Not to mention that, as I've come to know, having joined Realm only a year and a half ago, the mantra of Realm has always been, don't get in the way of the user. As in, it should feel like they're just writing native plain simple code realm does everything they can to adhere to that principle so i i want to i want to recircle back to to core data for a second because even though that we've talked about it in other episodes before when people talk about it they talk about it kind of like it's a plague on humanity <laughs> you want to you want to go over why uh, at least for the the new new developers who might be new to, to ios development why why is it so bad to work with <laughs> uh it's, don't put uh, any punches there, Nick. No. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. Um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't say it's so bad, but it is highly cumbersome. There's so much boilerplate that needs to be written. There's so many confusing things you need to read about in the documentation that is probably hidden somewhere deep in documentation that may not even exist anymore. And just all of the things that you have to do to even get started uh, within Xcode itself, setting up a schema and whatnot, like it's a lot of work that Realm just eliminates entirely. Okay, so I would imagine there's some folks listening that are developing mobile applications and maybe they're intrigued and they want to begin to understand. First of all, we, we covered a little bit about why Realm and what the competitive space looks like. Probably not going to be interested in core data <laughs> after what Nick has told us. But, <laughs> but uh, why Realm and, and then how would the developer begin to incorporate Realm into their application? Fairly simply, at, at the current moment in time you open up your xcode project whatever app you're building and you go to the swift package manager dependencies and you just add the realm coco repository and it's there um to actually start using it the way that we do schema discovery is through inheriting from our object object class and from there the objects and properties will be converted to tables and columns and whatnot and you instantiate a realm and just start adding objects to it. So the developer needs to have a pretty good understanding of the data they're going to be managing with their application, right? Yes. So that's the schema, right? Correct. So you just you just made a reference to tables and columns. Uh, just for clarity, are is Realm using tables and columns when it when it uh, does its magic? Yes. Under the hood, it is. All right. Tables, columns, and rows. All right. So is it could it could it still be considered a relational database in sense, or is it still very different? Uh, I would probably defer to Alexander whenever he talks about that. <laughs> but there there would be reasons of how the files are mapped out that be lead, lead to why we call it an object database as opposed to a classic relational database. Yeah, ultimately, when a developer interfaces or interacts with, with Realm in code in Swift or Objective-C, it, they're dealing with objects, right? Yeah. And they're native objects too. So that, you know, it's it's very natural for a developer to work in that. I think, you know, Across all the SDKs, they tried Realm tried to be idiomatic where possible. What we mean by that is that it, it is it is natural for the developers, 
easy to pick up. It's built in the same way on the platforms and IDEs that they're using anyway to be able to work with Realm objects. Would I be right in that, Jason? You would be. It's uh, We've designed it in a way so that you wouldn't know that you're actually using the database. So we can talk about rows and columns and tables, but that is totally abstracted to the user. There's no concept of that exposed in any way. So really, Realm is doing a lot of the heavy lifting then. So in terms of, you know, we are creating objects and Realm is managing an awful lot of that in the background. What else does it manage? Because when I started to use it first, it was, I needed offline capability for an app, um, most particularly. So can you talk a little bit about that, about you know, we, we tend to think we're always connected, um, you know, so offline is still crucial, even in this massively connected world, you know, so connectivity, offline, conflict resolutions, those sort of things in the in the concept of, of Realm on uh, Swift. MongoDB Realm, it basically will synchronize your data uh, without you even realizing it. So uh, talking back about New York, going in the subway, you're not going to have any phone service. As an app developer, back then, that, that was always something you had to consider, right? I'm going mm-hmm. to have to listen mm-hmm. to the network and see, do I have a connection? If so, do this. If not, maybe I can cache this call that I'm going to make. Maybe I can just wait until it comes back online later, that kind of thing. The nice thing about MongoDB Realm is that you don't have to think about that. It will synchronize automatically when the connection comes back. It's always listening. It's always waiting for data effectively. And the, the data that you're waiting on will just be hydrated. It is kind of a massive boon to developers because of all of the boilerplate that you used to have to write insofar as managing connectivity issues. I like that data being hydrated. I hadn't come across that one before. <laughs> I, I, I think that works. That works really well. It paints a good picture. Can I ask you to explain that? What does that mean? Hydrated? Uh, I suppose <laughs> I'm kind of using it as a fill in word for like to fill up a space, <laughs> like to, to pour in a bottle of, to pour in water into a bottle kind of thing. The data is coming in from the server and it will fill up the space that you expect it to be in. I suppose in this instance, and I think, yes, I'm correct. There is a podcast on this with, with Shiri about our OFISH app, where this was an app that we created, an open source app in the community um, for an organization called WildAid, who go around and protect waters and fisheries from overfishing and poaching, etc. And And this is a really, really good example of Realm, because when they're out on a vessel out in the open water, there isn't any connectivity. But they don't have to worry about that. They keep working away all the time. And when they come back on shore, it syncs up. Yes, that's episode 37. With, uh, 37. With You're good yeah. with the numbers, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's fresh in my mind. <laughs> so we talked about um, getting started, I suppose. And, and Jason, you know, it, it was three or four lines, which means it shows how easy it is to do. As a new developer um, or somebody new to Realm, obviously, where, where do they go to learn more tutorials, sample code, et cetera? Where, where, where should they go? Where would you point them to? So uh, where I would go for any kind of support or tutorials or anything like that, uh, I'd start at the MongoDB documentation um, that our documentation team has written. There's loads of great tutorials, some really easy getting started, uh, how to include it in your project. What do you do if you're new to Realm? Uh, what do you do if you have an existing project and you want to add Realm? But beyond that, the forums... GitHub issues, things like that. Like the community has been great in helping each other out to debug, get through things, how to use the product, uh, all that kind of thing. Yeah. So the community that you referred to, that's community.mongodb.com. And I know there's just a, a raft of questions being asked and answered, and the community is getting really active there. So if you're listening to this, kind of a, a little bit of a plug, jump on over to community.mongodb.com. I'd love to see you there. And 
I know I'm I'm logged in on a daily basis, so it would be great to see you there. I actually have a few more questions regarding um, how how Realm is kind of kept up to date with with whatever Apple's releasing, or even even Android for that matter. I mean, Apple, we we come to expect probably a new change from Apple once a year. When when a new iPhone drops or a new version of iOS drops. Can we be confident that Realm is going to work with that new version? I mean, what do we do about that? We can be. Basically, what happens each year, there is WWDC, DubDub, as a lot of the Apple developers call it. We basically hang on the edge of our seats, wait for the conference to start, wait until the very end when they reveal all the the new cool things that we'll have to hook into. And from there, we kind of hit the ground running. I I personally find it very exciting. That that probably only gives you a three three month window, right, Jason? It does. It's a very busy three months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot of it ends up being a large effort to keep up, but it's exciting because we actually do get to play around and hook into these new features. We get to be on the bleeding edge, mainly because you know Apple customers like that kind of thing. So yeah, it's busy, but uh, we get it done. If that answers the question. If I were to flip that question around, I know I know Apple tends to have longer term support for for their products. What version of iOS do we still support? Do we support all of them? Maybe I don't know. No, I believe the minimum version right now is eleven. Eleven. All right. Perfect. I, I, on that point, on on eleven, you know, Apple dictate to developers that we you can support two two versions back, you know, and 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 that's generally how it goes. Now, look, obviously, you, individual app developers decide what versions they're going to support. But in general, when we're shipping, you know, our SDKs, you know, that's all Apple really are supporting as well, too, is two back. And um, so that will move as we get, you know, next September or this September, we get another one. We're, we're going to move up again as well, too. And speaking of new developments, well, not so new anymore, but SwiftUI. Is SwiftUI supported with, with Realm? It is. We... Currently support it through our support for Combine, which is a sort of an asynchronous framework that Apple came out with last year. We actually have more SwiftUI coming on the way. Uh, sorry, more SwiftUI support coming on the way, so that Realm objects, just as if they were plain old Swift arrays or plain old Swift objects, hook into SwiftUI a bit easier as well. Um, there is a little bit of boilerplate that users do have to write right now. How is that supported uh, using? Is that through extensions, or how is that supported in the language? So last year as well, with SwiftUI, they came out with a feature called property wrappers. Property wrappers are, depending on what language you're using, I suppose the general term would sort of be an annotation. And it adds, in plain terms, sort of metadata and uh, a wrapper around getting and setting a property. So even if you are putting your array or whatever into a SwiftUI list, which is the thing that actually appears on the screen, the table view. There are things happening underneath the hood that SwiftUI does using the at state at observed object property wrappers that we then now have to mimic in Realm because Realm objects and Realm lists and Realm collections function differently than native Swift objects and native Swift um, collections. So is there a lot of work to do to, if I want to support an object in Realm and deliver that to the interface via a list or some UI element in the Swift compatible library. Is there a lot of work to do that? Do you mean currently or? All right. So if I'm a developer and I'm, I'm, you know, continuing my journey, I'm going to use Realm to back my, the data that's going to be used in my app on my device. What's the level of effort associated with, I don't know, implementing data in a table view, for example? So uh, using a table view, which would be UIKit, which is Apple's main UI framework, 
uh, though SwiftUI is obviously coming fast down the pipeline for people. It would have been fairly straightforward. The, the hooks that Realm provides for table views would have made sense because you're just providing a list, right? A Realm list. Nowadays, it's changed a bit with SwiftUI, where with a table view, you actually had to hook into the table view delegate. Delegate would be Coco term for an interface that you have to implement as the uh, user. Nowadays, you literally just plug in your data structure. You just plug it into a class called list, and that is it. There's also for each, but that's kind of a, an extension of list, and I, I don't need to get into the specifics there, but these days it's really just plug and play. It's much, much simpler. And then how does that translate to SwiftUI? Um, so that so the, the list there is SwiftUI. You literally okay. just write list, open parentheses, put in your list, close parentheses. It's very simple now. We spoke about the speed of which Apple, you know, WWDC comes out, in June, you've got till September, maybe late September, early October before that iOS version is released. You know, so uh, you spoke about that being a challenge, the speed of that. You're working very hard. What are some of uh, technically what have some of been the harder challenges more recently uh, for the Cocoa team? So integrating into SwiftUI was actually a bit of a challenge. Um, so Realm's killer feature is live objects, as we call them. Uh, it's the thing that makes them seem native. It's the fact that you don't have to call a special function to set or get values of your objects or classes or whatever. It's a great feature. The issue was SwiftUI actually attempts to capture the values of your lists and objects. So what that ended up meaning is that it was capturing our live objects, trying to create some kind of state machine under the hood uh, where it can display the UI featuring old versions of the objects, but in Realm. At the time, there were no old versions of Realm objects. Everything was always up to date. Everything was live. So we actually had to come out with new features to freeze and thaw objects so that SwiftUI actually could capture the state of them. That was a fairly large challenge that uh, we are just about over. And we are now coming out with our own property wrapper to do the freezing and thawing for the user so that SwiftUI and Realm, the SwiftUI and Realm integration is totally seamless. So I'll ask you to take a bet so developers we they started as objective c developers then swift came out and slowly slowly crept up and you know became essentially the de facto now we've got swift ui um do you think swift ui is going to take over i do it's definitely still early days it, i'd argue it still probably has another year or two before it gets really picked up but personally if i were to start a new app right now i would use swift ui there are definitely a few bits that aren't the best experience you do still have to hook into certain ui kit interfaces if you want to build a fully fledged swift ui application but it's definitely the way things are moving the swift ui framework didn't come out of nowhere it's an answer to other similar frameworks rx swift uh, was Combine, it's an answer to React and things like that uh, just in the Apple ecosystem. So you're, um, I suppose, like we're, we're looking towards Swift UI. Um, I think that, you know, what's, what's your favorite, you know, what is it that interests you in Swift UI? What did you think Swift UI really got right? Um, and what's your favorite features of Swift UI over, you know, how, how things were done before? Favorite feature? I do love the for each feature. Um, and just the general environment that views are in. So the amount of boilerplate that you would have to write for things like having a table view and being able to move rows in that table view, which is a fairly common action, delete rows from that table view, uh, add more rows to it. These are super common things that you see in nearly any application that you use on your phone today. 
that required so much boilerplate previously. Nowadays, it is, without exaggeration, each one of those things that I just said is one line of code. Swift UI did a great job of abstracting out these concepts. Uh, assumedly, somebody at Apple was like, these are the things that all apps do. We should probably make it easier for people. And I think they did a great job of it. So with uh, the, new, the new M1 Max that came out recently, are they able to run uh, Realm applications right now? Or is there some kind of uh, hacking that you have to do? Yeah, uh, nope, they, they run perfectly now. That was a fun scramble. <laughs> we, had, we actually had people asking if we supported the M1 Max uh, before they even came out. So that was a fun one to figure out. But after a couple of days, we were able to make sure that Realm can build on an M1. And, it, it was and how fine. does one figure that out? Did they send you like a prototype unit to use or yeah, um, um, they just guarantee it? Uh, there, there's never any guarantees in software, but um, <laughs> we got sent a developer kit that we were able to build and run Realm on. So just on Realm, and we did touch on this, and Realm is open source. Um, you know, So how do people get involved? How... how you know, if I'm an experienced developer using Realm, where should I go? How do I get involved? Um, do you have much, um, I suppose, public uh, PRs? Uh, how are things going there? Uh, there aren't that many public pull requests these days. However, we do encourage it. We very much want to connect with the community more. One of our main goals, this is a community-driven product. Realm has always been in touch with the Swift community, whether it was Swift Lint, or Realm, or you know, adopting Swift as soon as we could. We want people to get involved. My recommendation would be to go to the forums or go to GitHub, see what's going on. If you see an issue, feel free to file something to fix it. Uh, we love that kind of thing. If you want a new feature, these things are not things that we are opposed to. Any kind of input is always appreciated as well. Uh, we're always open to ideas, thoughts, feelings, uh, good or bad. Pop by. Tell us how you feel. So what's what's coming down the pike for, for Realm? What's in what's in the development timeframe? Uh, so currently, the big features that are coming out right now are new data types. So Realm is adding support for dictionaries, sets, and UUIDs, as well as a mixed type, which will translate to whatever language is any type. Basically, it can be any value that uh, Realm supports. Sets and dictionaries are just classic data types that have been long overdue for support. Um, I know people are very excited about dictionaries. It's been a long asked for feature. So yeah. And what sort of time frame then, Jason? That you know, are they sooner? Are they on the towards the end of the year, or or when are we talking about those? Is there you know what's our kind of release calendar for updates for the Realm SDK for the Cocoa Realm SDK? So yeah, other than the new data types, um, some of the bigger, more exciting things coming down the pipeline. Uh, there's a Flutter SDK, which wow. is something like several thousand likes on github for that one very um, much in demand yeah. <laughs> very much in demand um there is a kotlin sdk which is exciting as it gets to hook into a lot of the cool kotlin features that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you can't do from java as well as a web sdk that leverages sync which is something pretty exciting for web developers and 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 it's important i suppose we are planning to talk about those other sdks in future podcasts too so please stay tuned you'll pick those up in more detail on those well, Jason, this has been a great conversation. I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to, to chat with us and share information about Realm. Anything else you want to tell the folks before we wrap up? So on the 27th, we're going to do a user group for best practices for SwiftUI. And that's January 27th, 2021. It is going to be a sort of Q&A where I'm going to go into a bit more detail about some of the things I spoke about on this podcast about SwiftUI. 
some of the challenges we faced, how things actually work under the hood, how you can use Realm and SwiftUI in your application. Signups are up now. I'm pretty excited about it. And, and where can people sign up? Uh, Live.mongodb.com. We'll, we'll include a link in the show notes for sure. Great. Well, thanks very much, Shane and Jason. Nick, have a great Thank day. You. Yeah. Super. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thanks so much to Shane and Jason for joining us today. If you want to continue your journey and learn more about MongoDB Realm Mobile, visit the Docs site at docs.mongodb.com realm. Join other mobile developers in the MongoDB community at community.mongodb.com. And visit university.mongodb.com for the latest courses on MongoDB with information that employers are looking for today. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe. Have a question or a suggestion for the show? Visit us in the MongoDB community forums at community.mongodb.com. The best tech conference of the year is coming to Las Vegas, November 28th through December 2nd, and MongoDB will be there. Check us out at booth 1611 for prizes, swag, and to learn all about the Atlas Developer Data Platform. Can't make it to the show but still want to enjoy the fun? Check out the MongoDB live stream for live interviews and discussions of all the exciting announcements from the show. Visit mongodb.com reinvent for more information.